From the pinnacle of the media landscape, this is Market Edge. Join your host, Larry Weber, as he discovers the answers from analysts, entrepreneurs, and technologists who are preparing the blueprints for the future of marketing. Hear from those who are taking us to a new age of social media, e-communities, and the blogosphere. blogosphere. Now, please welcome your host of Market Edge, Larry Weber. Hi, and welcome to Market Edge. I'm your host, Larry Weber, chairman of W2 Group, a global marketing services ecosystem organized to help CMOs in their new role as builders of communities and content aggregators. We've been having some exciting shows lately, but I'm particularly excited today uh, because of who our guest is, Mr. Paul Levy, President and CEO of the Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center in Boston, which is one of the nation's preeminent academic health centers, providing state-of-the-art clinical care, research, and teaching affiliation with Harvard Medical School. Before joining Beth Israel in 2002, Paul was the Executive Dean for Administration at Harvard Medical School, where he was responsible for administrative, budgetary, and facility issues, as well as community and governmental affiliations. Paul is also the author of a blog entitled Running a Hospital. You can find it at runningahospital.blogspot.com, and it is regarded as one of the very few hospital CEOs to share thoughts publicly about hospitals, their administration, medicine, healthcare issues in general. I'm real excited to have you here. Thanks for joining us, Paul. It's really a pleasure. Thanks for having me. You know, um, in at least our um, research and, and discussions in the last two years, as the advent of social media's networks, blogging has really started to hit what at least I would call mainstream. We get a big resident uh, reticence from the the, the healthcare industry. Uh, both pharma and healthcare administrations to want to talk a lot openly and transparently about uh, what's going on. What made you think uh, this was a great opportunity, and, and why do you suppose um, some of your colleagues have chosen to stay in the background for a while? Well, from my point of view, I, I just thought it would be really interesting to try out as a as a forum uh, that is doing a blog. Um, I'm new to the medical field. I really have uh, had no background in hospital administration before this job, and I have found it a fascinating line of work. Um, everybody cares about medicine and healthcare, and people are really interested in what goes on in hospitals. And all of a sudden, I found myself sitting in the position of CEO, learning this stuff myself. And I said, "Well, maybe there maybe there are interesting things going on that people would want to hear about." So I started the blog. Um, and as you know, when you start a blog, you just you never know what's going to happen at that point. You don't right. know if anyone's going to tune in or listen or read or whatever. Um, and uh, indeed, for the first few weeks, nobody did. And then a reporter on the, at the Boston Globe wrote a story about my blog, and then it was off to the races after that. What do you think will it take for the uh, to overcome the reluctance of sort of some of the other people to you know to use the mediums uh, more openly? Well, I, I think the medical profession <clears throat> is a little bit nervous or edgy about um, issues of disclosure, um, and, and maybe maybe rightfully so, maybe because they've found in the past that when they've tried to explain complex medical issues and technology and treatment to the public, they find themselves being judged in a way that they 
they don't like or didn't anticipate. My view of that is you're going to get judged anyway, and isn't it better to state your point of view and create a framework for the discussion rather than just being attacked? Um, and maybe I feel that way because I spent a lot of time in the public sector. I, I regulated the utilities in Massachusetts, and I did other work. Um, and so I was used to being in the government where you're, where you're always held accountable for what you're doing. Um, my view is that hospitals, in particular the, these large academic medical centers, are in essence public bodies. After all, they're nonprofit organizations given preferential tax status by the government and lots of other government support and so on. And I, I think we should hold ourselves accountable to the public. Um, and a blog is a is a nice way to do that. I mean, it's a great way to get exchange going on and put out information and so on. But my so far, most of my colleagues really feel uncomfortable about it. You know, um, the other you know reason I think social media and blogs, et cetera, social networks are important to to the industry you're in now, is that it's one of the few industries that has one of the most complex constituency bases. And by that I mean, you know, you have physicians, you have uh, caregivers, you have the patients themselves, you have families, you have insurers, you have policy, as you were, you were mentioning, policymakers, government officials, you have administrators, you have the employees, you have, you know, thousands of employees at uh, Beth Israel Deaconess. Um, don't you feel that this is also a, a way to communicate in a multi-tiered constituency way in a more open and transparent way? Well, I certainly do, and, and um, you're correct. This is the most complex industry I've ever been associated with, and I've been involved in the past with the water the business, telecommunications, energy, and the like in many capacities, and this one is really complex and and convoluted in many ways it's very hard to to understand incentives and alignments and and so on and yet it's it's really one of the most basic of of service industries also in that all of us at some point in our life most likely will need medical care or that a loved one of ours will need medical care and then we find ourselves as consumers totally dependent upon a system that we really don't understand and that right. often creates great anxiety and discomfort, particularly if we think we're we're ill, or if a loved one is ill. And so, I think people really want to understand it better, at at the most basic level. What's going to happen to me when I show up at the emergency room, and who's in charge, and who do they work for, and how are decisions being made, and can I trust that I won't get hurt by the very hospital I've gone to to be cured at? Um, and those are all absolutely legitimate concerns. And so I think we in medicine and in academic medicine in particular, after all these these academic medical centers are where the latest occurs in terms of treatment and diagnosis and education, that we have an educational obligation to the public as well as a public service obligation to try to explain what's going on, at least as well as we understand it, which might not be very well, but you know, it's as good as any. But don't you, as well, it sounds like you would agree, the, especially in the academic side of things, the responsibility to share that information actually quite real-time with the, the, the different constituencies because it, it might help in the care of, uh, of others somewhere else. 
Absolutely, and and I think that's particularly the case with regard to improving the quality and safety of the hospital environment. Hospitals are dangerous places. Um, uh, people who come in who are who are sick are subject to all kinds of diagnostic tests and treatments and exposure to germs and the like from the environment. And one of the jobs of a hospital is not to hurt you while you're there. It's to, to help you, obviously. But as has been documented over and over, very often people are harmed by the hospital experience. And a number of us, many of us, are involved now in trying to look at hospitals as industrial organizations having industrial processes and trying to make systemic changes in the way we carry out our business so that we can provide better quality care. And one of the goals for me, for our place, and I know our, our clinical leadership feels this way as well, is to actually create and expound the academic discipline of quality improvement. This isn't just the discipline of providing medical care, but it's the discipline of how you improve the quality of the medical care and promulgating that throughout the academic and medical community. And um, there, because we're not all so expert in that, in these kinds of systemic improvements, the experience we could get from people in other industries, whether it's aluminum or automobile or chemicals or whatever, in terms of what they've learned, could be very valuable. But we can't tap that experience unless we explain to the public the nature of the problems we face. And so we have a number. We have a number of our audience, obviously, is uh, is marketers and CEOs of uh, companies in other categories. But you know, as I sit down, you know, at any time, and I'm sure you've done this too, uh, an industry like travel, I can you know, I can research endless ways to get somewhere, uh, different costs, different ways of doing it, uh, and, and the varieties and the, the opportunities seem endless. Uh, obviously, shopping. Uh, I was with the, uh, the CEO of a major automotive company the other uh, week before, uh, and he said, we're going to stop spending so much money on television because, you know, people are now sharing information about the cars they've bought and, you know, what they like, what they don't like, and we've got to be more involved in those conversations. When do you think I'll be able to sit down or, or any of us will be able to sit down and say, well, gee, I know I have to go in for that operation or I know I have to go be treated for this and I'd like to see what's available within 50 miles of my home or, you know, what are some of the best practices? And, and it, it doesn't have to take so long and it doesn't have to be so hard for me to research. Yeah, well, that's coming a bit slowly. There are some data online now where you can compare, for example, the mortality rate from cardiac surgery among hospitals and indeed among doctors in certain places. Um, and that's, that's a start. But there, there are a lot of other forms of data that um, are not available yet. Um, for example, the American College of Surgeons um, collects some very good databases on, on clinical results of different types of surgery. But uh, a provision of their doing that is of collecting that data is that you have to promise not to publicize it. So it's used for internal improvement, but it's not used for the kind of consumer decision making you're talking about. Doctors do not really feel comfortable with that. They do not think that there can be an, an accurate, statistically valid representation of their clinical results to the point that it would be useful and accurate in 
helping consumers decide. I think they're often wrong on that. I think they're too persnickety on their definitions and so on. But what does it leave you with right now? It leaves you with relying on anecdotes about clinical quality from doctor to doctor and hospital to hospital. And certainly that can be no better than even slightly flawed statistical data. There's a site, and I don't know if you're familiar with it, called, uh, it's been fairly controversial uh, the past 18 months called CERMO, where their, uh, their idea is to pay a small amount to physicians to join the social network of physicians and post comments about different types of side effects they're seeing from drugs in their patients or other ideas. Do you, do you think we'll have more of these kind, or do you think this is just a, a first generation of, of testing, and do you know that one specifically? Um, I, I have not joined it or looked at it because I, I generally don't go onto sites where I have to register or pay to get... Right get involved. For one thing, I, I never remember my passwords, but <laughs> um, um, for another thing, there's so much free data out there and, 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 and good conversation on other websites that I don't, I don't want to have to go through the rigmarole and so on. It's probably a first generation, though, and perhaps it will help doctors feel more comfortable with this medium. Um, I, I think what's happening here is that the, the, the public demand for information, for understanding, for education, so far is really outstripping what the medical profession has found itself willing to provide. And eventually that will change. At BIDMC, we have decided that we will be completely and utterly transparent about our hospital, about how often we harm someone, what we're doing to make improvements, and, and, and showing progress, good or bad, in terms of our clinical results. And we'll do it not with data that's two years old or three years old, which is the kind of stuff you see on most of these sites, but on current data. The, minute, the, the, the day after our board of directors sees it, you'll see it. Um, so within a month or two of surgeries actually taking place, the current clinical results will be posted. Um, I find that to be, and our, our medical staff finds that to be a very important and useful management tool. We're not doing it so much to get a competitive advantage with other hospitals. After all, they're not posting their data, so who knows what, how we compare anyway. But we're doing it to hold ourselves accountable. We're creating uh, targets for improvement, audacious targets for improvement, and by publishing the data, we create the kind of creative tension that an organization needs to improve. Um, and uh, we have found it to be a very, very powerful force. Have you had much pushback from, you know, the, the legal department or the, the council? Because I get that comment a lot. From, uh, not, not in the least. Um, you know, there's... there's um, and, and the prime example of the place to look at for that is the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, which has the same kind of attitude I'm talking about, very open, very transparent, and so on. And what they discovered, lo and behold, is that if you're actually honest with patients and families and disclose early and often, your chance of being sued is, seems to be less. And the reason for that is not so hard to understand. The reason for that is particularly in the case of Dana-Farber, which is taking care of cancer, and we take care of cancer, too, and other illnesses. People fundamentally 
trust their doctors and their caregivers. If someone is taking care of you over several years because you have cancer, you, you know, if you don't trust that person, you go somewhere else. And so if that person comes to you and says, I really am sorry to tell you this, but I just made a mistake, and I'm really sorry to tell you that I may have caused you harm from that mistake, what the experience is over at Dana-Farber and what we've found is um, that people say, okay, thank you for telling me. I already have this very serious illness. I understand the risks of medical care, and I trust you even more for having told me the bad news. And um, so I have to believe that that's the case. The other side of it, by the way, is even if you don't disclose it to the patients, it's all discoverable in a lawsuit anyway. And um, so who are you hiding it from ultimately? Right. And a lot of people say the conversations are happening anyway, so why not be part of them? Um, We're going to take a short commercial break right now. Please stand by, everybody. We'll be right back with Paul Levy, President and CEO of Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center, in just a moment for more conversation on Market Edge. Market Edge will continue in just a moment. XY7.com. Do you have a website? XY7.com. Would you like to convert your clicks into cash? XY7.com. Is the affiliate network that pays you daily? XY7.com. Not all website clicks are the same, but they're all worth money. XY7.com. Join today and start earning cash now. XY7.com. Has guaranteed commissions. You'll get paid even if we don't. Go to XY7.com now. Convert your website clicks to cash. Can you believe how long it takes to order food here? Uh, Here we go. Excuse me. She's not even looking over here. Great service is hard to come by. Whether you're sitting at a bar, restaurant, or creating effective search advertising campaigns. Um, excuse me. I think we need to go somewhere else. It's easy to feel forgotten, especially when your advertising budget is on the line. LookSmart serves up to 400 million queries a day with a side of the best customer service in the online advertising industry. Hi, how are y'all doing today? What can I get you folks to eat? You were right. This place is so much better. LookSmart, premium and performance advertising solutions. Are your domains working hard enough for you? Now, park your portfolio at RevenueDirect.com to maximize your earnings on traffic. With RevenueDirect's proven domain monetization service, you'll experience better payouts, more options, and smart optimization. Sign up free now at RevenueDirect.com. It's that easy. RevenueDirect. Make more money. Period. The Hook. You get to see so much work at Cannes. It's not great work, but some of it really is. And, and you know you what I really love about it? Because I didn't know if we were going to talk about the partying. <laughs> it's my show, and everybody that knows me knows I like to party. You know me, I like to party. The Hook. Live broadcast Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific, or on demand anytime inside the advertising channel. Only on webmasterradio.fm. Learning how to monetize your domains, zero dollars. Listening to affiliate marketing tips on your iPod, zero dollars. Getting the latest search news on your cell phone, zero dollars. Listening to Dave N. talk about garlic breath, well, worthless. WebmasterRadio.fm, we're everywhere. From the pinnacle of the marketing landscape, we now return to Market Edge. Once again, here's your host, Larry Weber. Hi, we're back. This is Larry Weber, and I'm the 
chairman of W2 Group, a global marketing services ecosystem, and we're here with Market Edge and Paul Levy, CEO of the Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center in Boston, one of the nation's preeminent academic health centers and academic institutions. Uh, Paul has been talking to us a lot about uh, using social media, openness and transparency in the digital medium in the actual management of, uh, of the healthcare business, and it's been fascinating. He's also a well-known blogger and has his own blog, Running a Hospital, blogspot.com. I encourage you all to go. When we uh, signed off just a second ago, we were talking about some of the doctors and physicians moving more uh, to an acceptance of social media and, and uh, marketing. I can't help but say I went to my new allergist, and uh, he happened to be 38 years old, and my old allergist didn't have a computer in his office, but my new one uh, showed me 12 different websites I should be uh, have RSS feeds to and uh, showed me different new innovations happening around uh, my asthma and my allergies and then asked me for my the email of my pharmacy and being mr digital i didn't have that and uh... it was funny to have that finally requested i guess my my question is are you seeing with some of your physicians more and more of an acceptance of of you know the digital realities that we're living in and how they can help uh... uh performance uh... as well as uh... just the speed of service Absolutely, we are, and it's certainly the younger ones uh, for sure, but also the older ones. We're, we also are blessed in our hospital to have an amazing chief information officer, uh, a fellow named Dr. John Halamka, who um, really is a worldwide expert in, in medical uh, application and administrative information systems. Um, in addition to being a computer whiz, John is also an emergency room doctor, so he understands the doctor side of things as well. So he has invented, and by invented I mean he has written, sometimes he's even written the code for applications that were not yet available um, in the marketplace. Um, he created, for example, something called PatientSite, which is um, um, uh, a web-based um, communication system that's available between our doctors and their patients. It's a secure website, password-protected, HIPAA-compliant, the whole thing. And what it means is that... Um, um, doctors can post information about you, and you can go in and look asynchronously. You know, that's the advantage, of course, of, of the web. Um, let's say you've had x-rays taken or, or uh, other images or you've had tests, blood tests and so on. You can go on online and actually see those test results. You don't have to call up your doctor and talk about it, and your doctor can send you notes interpreting and, and the like. <clears throat> Likewise, John has instituted for our place, and it will soon spread throughout the region, um, electronic prescriptions um, for our doctors. So th there are no no scripts are used anymore. If you go to one of our primary care doctors and you need uh, an allergy medicine or whatever, you say to him, I use the uh, Walgreens or the CVS pharmacy on <clears throat> such and such a street in your hometown, and the doctor puts in your dosage and clicks, and the prescription order is sent to that pharmacy. It also works for mail-order pharmacies, by the way. So um, our doctors are, are used to this. Our patients love it, um, and, um, and it, it's uh, very attractive. We also have lots of other information systems in the hospital. We have the 
computerized provider order entry and, and many other things of that sort. So we're a very, very wired hospital with terabytes of data going through every week and uh, um, uh, everything digitized. You go to one of our, our cardiologists and he can pull up your EKG from 10 years ago out of the database, um, put it up on his screen or print it on his computer and compare it to the one you had today. Um, and that's just the way we do business. That's terrific. I mean, you know, it, it, it's not very comforting, even though uh, I'm uh, getting up there, but, but to, to go into the doctor's office and see, you know, lots of real estate space taken up by files, paper files, files and more files, and they're looking through to find just five years ago. And the technology is available to have instant access to everything. Well, it is, but it's a big investment, and you have to commit to it. And there's always the backlog of all those other old, old paper records that you have to slowly put into the information system so that it will work appropriately. But you have to start sooner or later. And um, I, I would really encourage people. Uh, John Halamka is, is ver uh, by the way, he has his own blog, which is called uh, Geek Doctor. <laughs> and uh, um, you can search for that. And he actually writes wonderful posts on what it's like to be CIO of a major medical institution and how he organizes his work and what he's hoping for for the future and how he gets it done and so on. And for people who are interested in that, I, I encourage you to look at his, his blog as well. We will definitely be looking at a geek doctor. <laughs> That's one word, fascinating. <laughs> how about other, uh, some other sites that uh, you might share with the audience that uh, you find particularly uh, forward-thinking in their use of the web and social media uh, for the, the health industry. Anything come well, to mind? There, there are a number that I, I link to on, on my blog, and people should certainly feel comfortable just going on to, on to mine and, and going down the list. Um, I try to be pretty selective about the ones I, I list um, um, because there's so many out there. Um, there's some policy ones that are and, and current event ones. Uh, there's... Uh, um, uh, there's the Health Affairs uh, Policy Journal. There, there are those kinds of things. There's a fellow named Kevin, a doctor, and he has a site called Kevin MD. I, I, frankly, I don't know how he has time to be a doctor with what what he does on his site. But he he's got a during the day. Just it looks like every ten minutes he's citing interesting things from out the from throughout the medical um, blogosphere. Um, so, um, and then there there are some um, local ones uh, in every community. There 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 are um, local newspapers and so on that have medical websites. Uh, Avery Comero at U.S. News and World Report does a really nice thing called Comero on Quality. Um, he's the guy who does the hospital rankings every year in U.S. News right. and World Report. I think the Wall Street Journal Health and Medical blog is very very well done. Um, uh, I think Health Leaders Media is another one that's really well done, and and uh, and then there are interesting policy places or foundations like there's a, a a thing called the Pioneer Portfolio at the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. But any, in any event, if people if want to go to my my blog, which is runningahospital.blogspot.com, you'll see links on the right um, for those. And then I also, uh, for fun, um, 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 uh, have other categories and. Um, there's a, a, a fellow named David Meerman Scott, who I know you know, who who does very interesting stuff on marketing in this field. Um, 
And um, then I have other sites from nurses and doctors and personal stories from patients and and the like. And uh, the the only problem with this medium is you can spend your whole life looking for <laughs> people's blogs. And, and uh, what I, made I, you I'm get to the to point now that uh, you know I, I I look and see where people are coming from to my blog, and it is literally from throughout the world, from Asia, Africa, Australia, New Zealand, South America. There's a huge yeah. interest. Isn't that fabulous? It's really, not, it's fun also, I have to say. I mean, when you get a, a note from someone in Greece saying, I was reading your blog, we have a similar issue here, what do you think about it? Um, it's really quite pleasant. Um, and uh, I, I mean, as I, I, I gave a speech in, in Iceland a few months ago, and, and I said, you know, the issue here is we're dealing with the same organism around the world, <laughs> this human body. We're dealing with the same problems, this, many of the same institutional issues. Even, even in countries where they've organized the health system differently from ours, the underlying problems are the same, and we have a lot to learn from one another. Yeah. How, you know, what was really the first instance? Do you remember, you know, did you see someone else's blog in another category, or what was really the impetus, you know, behind you just saying, I'm going to just sit down well, and try this? It was August 2006. I was reading the New York Times. I think it was the business section. It was a Sunday, either the business section. Yeah, it's probably the business section. And there was an article about how few Fortune 500 CEOs had blogs. And I read that, and I said, gee, I'm not a Fortune 500 CEO, but I, I run a billion-dollar business. It's a healthcare field. I'm a CEO. This is really interesting. I should start one, see what happens. Um, so I called a friend and I said, "How do you start a blog?" And she got me over to, you know, Blogspot, and it takes about forty-six seconds to get up. And then I was up, and I th then the next thing, of course, is you have to figure out what to write about, and you have to see if anyone cares. <laughs> you can throw a lot of stones out into the pond <laughs> before the ripples <laughs> come back. Um, you know, a lot of people have told me uh, some CEOs, you know, that it takes up so much time. Um, yeah, so looking. <laughs> but let's say it does. Let's say it does. I mean, I mean, part of the job of there are lots of parts of a job of a CEO, but one of them is, in the crassest possible terms, I'm going to put this: it's to position your company in the best possible light in the public environment, among your consumers and potential consumers and potential adversaries. Right. And. What better way to do that than to actually use your words, unedited, um, in in the time period that you want, using the language you want and on the topics you want? Um, what better way to do that? You don't. You're not being edited by reporters, by editors. Um, you're out there in 30 seconds. I mean, and the whole world can see. Um, so I think it's very effective um, and um, on that front alone. The other way it's effective is you learn stuff coming back the other direction. People write. Sometimes you don't like what they write. But, gee, guess what? They're saying it anyway about you, and isn't it better to hear it directly? Um, so I view this as part of the responsibility now of a CEO to use these media um, just as you used to use television, radio, and the newspapers, and perhaps more so, because um, um, 
you know, the, the, those other media often aren't as effective, particularly among certain audience groups. Have you started to um, experiment a little with maybe adding some video and you know some more visual content I, to your? No, I, I put pictures on. I'm not going to do video really. I, I I find it a little distracting when I go to another site and do video. I I, I like to just use the the written word. Um, now what I will say. So that's my personal blog. Now the company, our company, has engaged in relationships with. Um, with the bostonchannel.com, which is the, the the Channel 5 affiliate here, the television affiliate, which has its own website. And we provide medical information on their website with videos, with diagrams, and stuff like that, much more sophisticated than I write just in my blog. Because we've, and by the way, we're doing it with some radio station websites as well where you tie in the oral message on the radio station and then someone clicks over to their blog and looks up asthma, say. Um, and we have found those to be incredibly effective ways to help educate the public on various diseases and disease management and also, frankly, to bring in business. Well, it's just fascinating. And i got to say, I think you know you need to be commended for taking this step. Not many running a, uh, a world-class health institution would be doing this. And I think it's only the beginning. I think uh, social media, as it, as it gets more popular and in, is more informative and, and educates the public, it's only going to have a greater impact on quality service and uh, the sharing of knowledge. So, well, and, and we haven't even talked about using Facebook as both an internal and an external communications device, and we're starting to do that as well. That's great. Well, we'll save that for part two uh, when we uh, have another show that focuses on health care. And I want to thank Paul Levy, the president and CEO of uh, Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center, for spending time on Market Edge today. Please go to his blog. It really is truly uh, a revolution, an evolutionary step in the use of social media for well, the health care industry, an industry that will only get better by the use of it. It is running a hospital at blogspot.com. And again, Paul, thank you for spending some time with us on Market Edge today. Thanks for having me.